Today, we bring you audio from the Embracing Autism IRL video podcast series. Welcome to Embracing Autism IRL. In this video series, we interview guests from a variety of backgrounds who are all linked together through autism. From advocates to therapists to parents and autistic adults, this series will take a well-rounded approach to sharing diverse perspectives on autism spectrum disorder. Our guests are encouraged to speak freely and be their authentic selves when discussing controversial yet critical topics in the autism community. If you'd like to watch the full unedited video of our interview-style podcast spinoff, Embracing Autism IRL, please subscribe to our YouTube channel of the same name and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Autism Wish. New episodes release monthly. With that said, we now present to you Thomas McKean. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Embracing Autism IRL. Today with me, I have Thomas A. McKean. He is located in Ohio and has written an award-winning book. He's published articles and essays on autism and has written award-winning songs. He's also appeared on The Oprah Winfrey Show and NPR, among other places. Thomas has spoken on autism internationally and consulted on autism with families and schools across the United States and Canada, and he served two terms on the National Board of Autism Society of America. He's also co-creator of Autism Awareness Month and the current Autism Puzzle Piece Awareness Ribbon. Currently, Thomas serves on the board of directors of the Autism Society of Ohio and appears on multiple podcasts and continues to write on autism for a variety of publications. Welcome to the podcast, Thomas. Well, thanks. It's, it's, it's good to be here. It's great to have you. So let's go ahead and get started and just let me know a little bit about yourself. That was a good introduction right there. There is all that. Anything personal, like fun hobbies or anything like that? Uh, well, uh, lately I've been kind of tinkering with amateur radio a little bit. I've got a, uh, an extra class uh, amateur radio license. I tend to read comics at night before I go to sleep. What's and your favorite comic? I'm not really sure. Lately, I've been reading the X-Men, but if I were to pick one, it would probably have to be uh, All-Star, the Justice Society from way back in the golden age. You'd have to be an older (laughs) listener to remember them. But yeah, they were pretty cool. Awesome. I'm not super into comics now because I don't have time, but I definitely was into the comic book universe when I was younger. (laughs) Oh, really? Now, Now, what did you read? I was more into Marvel stuff. But, you know, that's another story. (laughs) So I just really wanted to ask you a couple of questions with your experience and your involvement in the autism community. I definitely have heard your name many times anywhere I go online. It's like everyone knows who you are. So there definitely is a lot of questions that I have for you. And I just wanted to get started with your background because you you do have such experience with autism that I just wanted to know when you were growing up, what was your experience specifically with autism and growing up autistic back way, was it in the 70s that you said? Right. Well, it was a different time. It was a different time. And uh, nobody really knew what autism was other than it existed. And I'm not really even sure they knew that. There was there really wasn't much they could do for you back then. All those therapies they've got now, they didn't exist back then. So you were the uh, stereotypical kid rocking in the corner. So and what, you either, what did they you either do? stayed at home or you were in an institution somewhere. Do you have any particular memory or anything that has like stood out from your past that helped shape the person that you are today? Well, I did time. Uh, I did time in an institution from 80 to 83. And I'm sure that shaped who I am to some extent. 
Did that have any influence on you wanting to become more outspoken in the autism community? I don't know that that motivated it. It it certainly, I think, made me better at the job. It made me a better advocate. They weren't really able to help me either because in the early 80s, there wasn't much known about it. You know, it wasn't until the early 90s when people started figuring this out. And, uh, you know, I thought those three years might have been for nothing until I started getting involved and realized that my time there gave me an education that was conducive to advocacy. You have been involved in particular aspects of autism through kind of the history of autism awareness. And I heard that you were particularly involved with the creation of the puzzle piece. Is it the symbol or the ribbon or is there a difference? Can you explain that to me? I'm not sure there is a difference. It depends on who you ask. But specifically, I'm talking about the multicolored interlocking puzzle piece. Let's say that. How did that come about? What were your thoughts going into that process? Those of us who were working on it, we were aware of the prior symbol, the the one from 63 with the crying child, and it was still kind of in use at the time back um, in 90-something or other. 99, I think it was. And, you know, we understood that, you know, we had learned more about autism by then and it wasn't as hopeless as it used to be. And we wanted to create a symbol a little more hopeful. So we took the crying child out and we created this other puzzle symbol, kind of turned the old one on its ear and created a symbol of hope and respect for the autism population. Could you explain to anybody who's not familiar with it how the current puzzle piece ribbon indicates hope? Is there certain meaning behind certain parts? I was hoping you would ask because there's a (laughs) lot of misinformation out there about it. There's three things associated with the puzzle piece. And this is official. You know, everyone's everyone's got their own interpretation. And if you ask parents, they'll come up with all kinds of really wild things. Some of them are pretty cool. But officially, officially what it means, the puzzle pieces themselves represent kind of the mystery of what autism is, because there's still, even today, a lot about it that we just don't know and that we haven't figured out yet. I think we will eventually. It's just that we haven't figured it out yet. It's not and never did represent any particular person or individual being a puzzle. It's just the condition itself. The different colors represent the diversity of autism, the ones with the PhDs down to the ones rocking in the institution, like I said earlier, and everyone in between, no one is left out. And the brightness of the colors is what represents the hope, the hope for the future. And I hope that one day we will get it and find answers and and quality of life for, for these kids and their families. Wow. So, I mean, I am sure that you have heard all the debate going around and surrounding the puzzle piece and the symbol. There's lots of people who defend it. Like you said, they have a bunch of different interpretations of what it means, but they have a lot of positive attachment to it. And those individuals are made up of both autistic adults and autistic individuals, as well as parents. But there's also a lot of people, particularly, I would say the actually autistic movement and other autistic adults who are pretty vocal about being anti-puzzle piece symbol. Do you think that you can give me your take on why you think there's this big debate over the puzzle piece and like what your thoughts are on the debate? Well, the the actually autistic keep bringing up the old one. 
they seem to be stuck in 63. For some reason, they, they don't seem to be able to discern the difference between the one that was made back then and the one that we worked on. They're two completely different symbols with completely different meanings. And we were aware of the problems with the old one, which is why we made the new one. We wanted to do away with the problems with the old one. We wanted people to move on and forget the old one. And they did until the actually autistic reminded us of it. The ones that want it dead the most are the only ones that are keeping it alive. That's interesting. I didn't think of that. What could we as a society do to work on clarifying what the puzzle piece symbol means? Do you think we can come to a consensus on that? Or do you think it's just kind of like a hopeless debate that'll just forever be? I don't want to think it's a hopeless debate that will forever be. I don't want to think that. You know, times change and people change and societies change and organizations change and neurological disorders change. Autism has proven that the past 30 years, if nothing else. I will defend until my dying day that the puzzle piece was spot on perfect for the time that we made it in 99. I would not have a problem with changing it again, as long as it's for the right reason. Going back to the first one, I don't think is the right reason. That would kind of erase part of my legacy, but I think I'd be okay with it because I understand that this is a cause that needs to move forward and not stay where it is or go backwards. And I've done everything I can to move it forward in the years that I've been active. And so I, I'd be okay with, with doing that again. I think, honestly, that's pretty honorable because I know it's hard for people, at least today's society, I feel like it's hard for people to kind of let go of their own principal beliefs and be willing to compromise with other people who have very different views. For some reason, society is having a much harder time with that now than we used to. So honestly, that's like very big of you to say, especially nowadays. I, I feel well, like that's hard Well, to thank you for that. You know, it's just I... I know what the job of an advocate is, and I, I try to do that. And, and I can sort of define that in the context of what we're talking about in a, in a roundabout way, because you want to get into self-diagnosis, and oh boy, do I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> the, the, the job of an advocate begins not with the diagnosis, but after the diagnosis. The job of the advocate begins immediately after the diagnosis is made. The job of the doctor, the job of the clinician is to look over the child and say, your child has autism. What happens is the doctor pretty much does just that. Your child has autism. Have a nice day. You, the parent, walk out of the office into the parking lot and say, oh my God, what do I do now? That's where the advocate comes in. The advocate says, this is what you do now. So that's, they're two completely different things. That's totally relatable because <laughs> I know that I definitely had to go through that process when I had very little knowledge at the beginning when my first child got diagnosed. You did mention the whole self-diagnosis thing. I do want to move into the debate over self-diagnosis as well because one debate's not enough. I know that you're probably also aware that there is a bunch of people in the community. If you saw my last video, self-diagnosis and the validity of self-diagnosis. Yes. Less is kind than of like an hour ago. Yes. <laughs> I did that to prepare for this. Nate, yes. if you're out there listening, uh, I got to give you props. You did an amazing job defending self-diagnosis. I don't necessarily agree with you, and I'll tell you why in a bit, but I, I got to give you props. You did a wonderful job defending your position. Well, let's let's get right into it then. 
So when it comes to self-diagnosis, this is something that, again, is being debated heavily right now in the autistic community. There's a bunch of people who are, we're talking about autistic individuals here. There's a bunch of autistic individuals who support self-diagnosis. And then there's a bunch of autistic individuals who oppose self-diagnosis. Now, how many of those are considered self-diagnosed or not is kind of hard to say. But what is your opinion on autism self-diagnosis? And do you consider this to be valid or... Or do you feel like it's not valid? Well, like, like I said, you know, late, late made some interesting comments. I actually agree with most of it. You know, although I think he, I think he kind of inadvertently kind of shot himself in the foot when he mentioned that his therapist was working to be what was it certified or whatever in in diagnosing autism. And the thought I had, well, okay, if his therapist has to be certified in diagnosing autism, then why do people who are not think they can do it? You see, there, they, the argument is, and he said this himself. I think you guys talked about this. Is the lack of the people who are willing to look at this in adults and of course the cost involved i think he mentioned something six thousand dollars i think he said i absolutely agree with that that absolutely needs to change however the answer to that is not diagnosing yourself the answer to that is advocating to make that diagnosis more easier to access for everybody else And the other argument that you hear is, you know, I know myself better than they do. I think you mentioned that. And uh, another one I've heard is, well, you know, the therapist can get it wrong. Yes, they can, but they've also had years of training and experience and you, the one diagnosing yourself, have not. So who's more likely to get it wrong? Right. And I don't I don't mind people having the self-awareness to say, you know, I think I might be experiencing this. I think that's a good thing to have that awareness that there might be something going on there. I don't think it's a good thing to make the blanket statement that it is there without getting looked over by a professional first. There's a little bit of a difference there. I know you said a lot of information, but I wanted to pull out that you did say like there are these like financial barriers and other barriers surrounding obtaining a medical diagnosis and that things need to kind of change there. Do you think it's possible to change that? Like, do you have any ideas? I I do think it's possible. I I do think it's possible. I do think it'll happen because I think it pretty much has to. At some point, the way autism is growing, there's not going to be an option it's it's going to have to happen so it will i can't tell you how or when things are probably going to get worse before they get better which is unfortunate but at some point this is something that we're we we as a as a collective society are going to have to deal with so what would you tell people in the meantime who are seeking or wanting some sort of validation for potentially feeling like they are autistic you know, I should have an answer to this. You sent me this question ahead of time. I should have an answer. <laughs> Technically, I didn't send you this one. So <laughs> you didn't? So I'm off No, the hook I just that. yep, I just put you on the spot. My answer to that question is beware of what's happening out there on social media. It's okay to question it. It's okay to to ask about it. It's okay to say, you know, is this something that's going on with me? It's it's okay to do all of that. And Nate is right. None of that is wrong. None of that makes you a bad person. He's absolutely right about that. And it's okay to ask those questions, but be aware of the darkness that's 
currently in autism right now on social media, the darkness that's out there. There's people who are horribly, horribly attacking parents right now and people with autism who who don't agree with them. And what I'm seeing is most of them are self-diagnosed. They're screaming, and you've heard this, the best thing parents can do is listen to the actually autistic. Personally, I think it's the other way around. I think the best thing the actually autistic can do is listen to the parents. They're completely dismissing this objective view of autism, which is just as equally valid as theirs. The people with autism are not the only ones that are living with it. The parents are living with it too. And so are the doctors and the therapists and the educators and even the legislators. And we need to listen to all of them if we're going to figure this out. We can't just exclude everybody except one group. That's not going to get us anywhere. Honestly, I feel like that has impacted the autism community, but it seems like this is spilling out into the culture as a whole because you see this in like a bunch of different sectors. It's not just in the autism community. Something's happened to the culture that there's been this shift in the last like decade or so where everybody's like really polarized in every debate. And I feel like the autism community, unfortunately, is not separate from that. That has definitely been something I have been noticing as well. Right. And I am thankful, very thankful that I've been doing this as long as I have, because I, I've been doing this before all of that started. And so I was able to recognize it and not really be all that drawn into it. You know, I will defend the puzzle piece because I was there and I know what it represents because I decided what it represents. I had a vote in that with the others who were there. So I will defend it and I will defend the parents who are being bullied. I will do that because I believe when you support the parent, you support the child. I absolutely believe that. But the actually autistic really, I think, do believe that I don't see their side of this. And I do. In a way, it's not really the the self-diagnosis that I mind, and it's not what they believe that I mind, although it is both of those things to some extent. To me, more the problem is just the way that they're treating others. That's what I have the problem with. What do you see typically? A bullying. In what shape? Like what form? What are they doing? They're telling parents to, quote, unalive themselves so their kids will be happy. That's a bit extreme. (laughs) They're calling uh, child protective services on parents because they've chosen to explore ABA with their children. They're calling uh, random parents that they don't know and haven't even met places of employment, trying to get them fired over a difference of opinion on the puzzle piece. Wow. These are horrible, horrible things that they're doing. What would you say then to the parents who just found out their kids are autistic? They just got this new diagnosis. They go to social media to seek out support and they see, you know, all of this stuff going on in the community. What would be your piece of advice? That's exactly what's happening. And they come to me later after they've seen that. That's when they come to me because they hear about me and they hear about this guy who doesn't hate them just for being parents. And they say, what's going on? And I say, well, I can't tell you. All I can tell you is I won't do that to you. I'll listen to you and I'll do what I can to help you. And that's what the actually autistic should be doing. But it's really just just the opposite. They're, they're not listening. They're just demanding that their side be heard while not listening to anyone else. 
I think what I also find interesting about that is I've seen this happen quite a few times where there's parents who go online and they seek support and there's that backlash, but it kind of turns out later down the road that those parents, one or the other, ended up actually getting an autism diagnosis themselves later on, like a late diagnosis after their child was diagnosed. And so they go, they get a medical diagnosis, and then they're involved in the community. But because they're a parent of an autistic child, they still don't get any sort of like benefit, like of being heard where it's still like, you're still a parent of an autistic child. And even though you are autistic yourself, you're still somehow anti autism, like, right. That's I've I've heard that too. I've, I've seen the same thing. Yeah. So there's definitely a lot of like confusing, conflicting things in the community, but you, you have done a lot of advocacy and advocacy work. So I think that that's pretty much the next step of like what we have to do to kind of like move forward and try to like create some sort of unity or like a stronger, more united community. That's part of our mission here with like the Embracing Autism podcast and just our motto, Embracing Autism. It's part of that going beyond just the awareness to the acceptance of everybody even if you have like different viewpoints. So and you're doing wanna... that. You're doing that by by having both sides of the of the self-diagnosis. That's that's one example of the things that you're doing right. So good for you doing that. Thank you. I, I hope to keep getting both sides of the story. Before we start wrapping up here, what does the phrase embracing autism mean to you personally? I, I like what Nate said about it. I like what he said about it, about about acceptance and understanding that it's not wrong. I really like what he said about that, and I agree with it. You know, when I read when I read that, when you sent it to me, I kind of took a different interpretation of it than what he did, and I I kind of wondered not if you were asking on behalf of all of us, but on behalf of me, what does embracing autism mean to me personally? Mm -hmm. He interpreted it different to mean everybody. And I really like his answer. I kind of interpret it to mean, well, what does it mean to Thomas? I don't know that I embrace it. I mean, it's given me a career. It's given me a job that I can actually do. It's given me an opportunity to do some good and save some lives along the way. And I'm very thankful for that. But I don't know that it's something that I embrace. I do embrace the autism community. And that's because the autism community has embraced me over the years. I've worked with the parents and the kids. And like I've said, the educators and the doctors and the therapists, it hasn't been just one group. It's been the entire community, which I think is another reason that I may have a problem with the actually autistic is because I've had the benefit of working with everyone and I've been able to see all sides of it. I think that's one of the things that that made me good at what I did. When you can look at a problem from multiple views, the parent, the child, the teacher, looking at it from those three views is where you're going to find solutions to the problem. If you're looking at something from just one point of view and you ignore the other two because you don't think they're valid, you're not going to find a solution anywhere. So I, I haven't really embraced autism itself. I know it's a part of who I am. I don't deny that. It's caused me some some problems over the years. And, you know, I don't have to go into that because everybody knows the problems that autism causes with, you know, sensory issues and social life and things like that. And I'm no different. Same things happen to me. But it's also, you know, given me some good moments as well. Not autism itself, but the community, which for the most part, you know, I think are good people. 
the one thing that I have taken, and I have said this before when I've spoken at conferences, the one thing that I have taken from that 30 years of work, the one thing that I'm certain I can say with with just absolute certainty and clarity and assuredness is that the parents do love their kids. They absolutely love their kids. They will do anything for those kids. I've seen it. I have seen them sacrifice their homes, their jobs, their mortgages, their money, their cars, their marriages, even their lives. Feta went back into the fire a little over a year ago. Her the, the house was on fire. She ran out. Her son didn't. She went back in to get them. They both died and they found them kind of huddled together with her protecting them and they were both gone. No greater love is there than this. The ones that are saying that the parents don't love their kids, they're wrong. They're wrong. And I'm saying that because with all of the, like I said, darkness that's going on in the autism community right now, you said when you were talking to Nate, you said that your primary audience was parents. Mm -hmm. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because I want the parents to know that there are still people with autism out there who get it and who do understand where they're coming from. Because it can really look like there's not. And they have come to me and they've said, I am so worried that my child is going to grow up to be like this. And, you know, I'm here to say, well, not necessarily. Some of us still have some common sense. I think that that's important for parents to hear because you are kind of in that mentality when you first hear about the diagnosis where everything's hitting you at once and you don't really know what to think. Your head is spinning and then you go into the social media world and it's just more chaos. And I feel like that just makes it so hard to get rooted and kind of know what's going on and kind of get like oriented. So I think having that solid foundation is really helpful for parents. You're you're right. And what makes it even worse is the natural complexity inherent in autism itself. It never affects anyone the same way. And there's just layers upon layers upon layers upon layers upon layers of complexity to autism itself. And every parent has to kind of find their way working through that to say, how much of this applies to my child? How much of this doesn't? What do I need to do to make my kids more comfortable, to give them an education and to improve the quality of their lives? And how do I do that? And those are very, very difficult questions to answer because the answers are not going to be the same one child to the next. And that just adds to the problem. And that is part of the inspiration for this too, the the spinoff. We started off just with our audio podcast and we created this video series specifically because we want to get as many viewpoints as possible. I just want to keep talking to people. And like you said, every experience is very different. And I really do believe in that quote, like when you've met one autistic person, you just met that one autistic person because so right. far, nobody that I know has the same experience so far. No, none of us do because it's this like little neurological wiring glitch in the head that affects everybody differently. And, you know, you you roll the dice and you just kind of have to accept what you get and move from there and, and do the best you can to make it better. 
Well, I think that you're doing a great job at advocating and really making the world a better place when it comes to the autism community. So I'll keep cheering you on. And um, even we have some different viewpoints, like the puzzle piece symbol, for example. I think you've probably noticed I have the gold infinity and I know you can't stand the gold infinity. (laughs) But for me, the reason I chose it is because my background is more like research oriented. And I had like a minor in neuroscience and I'm kind of like a researcher by trade. And so I've looked into these like research studies that they've done and it's just like the symbol of a puzzle, whether or not it's related to autism at all, just a puzzle piece itself in the non-autism community. Some studies have been done that show that it gives like a negative connotation that when people see a puzzle piece, they automatically have kind of an instinctive negative thought of what it means, whether or not it's related to autism. So like for me, I'm like, okay, I get that. If somebody instinctively sees the symbol and like, our nature is just to be like, oh, something's off about that. Then I, I get that, but I'm definitely not like rabidly against it either. Well, you're you're right. And that's one, I'm aware of those studies. I'm aware of those studies. And that's one reason that I'm okay changing it. And you are wrong about one thing though. Actually, and this may surprise your listeners, I really don't have a problem with the gold infinity symbol. As far as I am aware, the only official symbol for autism right now is the puzzle piece. But I don't have a problem with someone using a gold infinity or something else or or even nothing at all if they prefer. I'm okay with that because, you know, we're all different and we're all coming at this from a different place. And so I'm not going to, you know, make demands, hey, you know, I helped create this thing and you guys have to use this and nothing else. I'm not going to do that because I understand that we're all different and we've all we've all had different experiences with this. And because of that, it means something different to all of us. I have talked to literally thousands and thousands of parents over the years, and none of them have told me the same story. Sometimes they were similar, but they were never, ever the same. The journey that they've been on with their kids, every single one of them is different. And it's it's kind of shaped their views of autism in a different way. And that's not necessarily wrong. It's when it becomes wrong is when you demand that others see it the same way that you do, rather than saying, okay, well, this person had a different experience than me. This is why they see it different than I do. And that's okay. Yeah. Do you see the difference there? It's empathy. It's having empathy and compassion. It's like being willing to step in the other person's shoes and try to see things from their perspective. That's that's exactly what it is. And Ruth Sullivan herself, for those of you listening who have been around a while, Ruth Sullivan herself once told me right to my face that I don't have theory of mind, which is kind of a fancy way of saying empathy. Can look that up if you haven't heard of it. Uh, mm-hmm. I disagree with that. I I think where that came from, we were at an ASA board meeting. I think I must have said or done something that gave her that impression. But I do, I do get where parents are coming from just because I've talked to so many of them. And when I was growing up, I wasn't really sure how my parents felt about me because when sometimes when they're doing these things as parents and putting you through these therapies and the institute 
institution and saying yes or saying no or whatever, you know, as a young child, especially if you're a young child with autism, you may not always understand that. And you may wonder if your parents care about you. And I did wonder about that until I started talking to others and hearing their stories. And through that, I kind of got a better idea of where my parents were coming from. So all of this work I've done has really benefited me as much as it's benefited anyone else. It's, it's given me really kind of a more open mind toward parents because I get the parental viewpoint. Yeah, I think a lot of what people try sometimes is even like out of desperation. Like if your kid is self-injurious or something like that, sometimes parents are just willing to try anything. And I don't honestly do like, for example, ABA, me, myself personally, but I'm not really against it. I'm kind of like a fence sitter when it comes to that because I think it just depends on who you're working with, what they do, etc. But I think that it's very natural and okay for parents to explore each avenue. And it makes sense. Like if you are finding a situation where your child is going through something really devastating, like self injurious behavior, I don't think that we should fault the parent for trying everything and anything they can to get that child the help that they need. You know, you're, you're right. And, and when you get into things like that, which could cause injury or harm, not just to property, but to your child, which is much more serious than the property, you know, yeah, you do have to start thinking about things like that. And ABA doesn't work for everybody. I'll be the first to say that because I've seen it fail, but I've also seen it succeed. And it's like you say, it depends on who you are. It depends on your, your child and how they'll react. And a lot of times you're not going to know. There's just no way you're going to know unless you try it and give it a chance. And if that doesn't work, then you move on to something else or you can try something else first. There's a lot more out there than there used to be. You know, there's there's speech therapy, occupational therapy, there's medications and just all kinds of stuff that didn't exist when I was younger. Yeah, like we we did floor time therapy and we had a lot of success with that. So that's definitely something that I usually advocate for because it's really fun and play based. We only have a couple minutes left and I just wanted to ask you really quickly if you have anything that you would like to share that perhaps I didn't give you the opportunity to share or if there's anything else that you feel like you want to say. Well, if you look behind me, you'll see the dog. Something that I've noticed, I don't watch much news anymore because it's gotten to be just so depressing. But those times that I have, I have seen like when they interview people, they'll have like their book up in the corner, which to me is just like real tacky. But <laughs> I will for a moment hold it up. Soon will come the light. This is the second one, Light on the Horizon. And there is also this, which is a Japanese translation of uh, oh. Soon Will Come the Light. This one an award for literary achievement, uh, achievement in 94. This is one of the first, the first autobiographies of, uh, of a person with autism. And there's a lot of, a lot of explaining in here about uh, the behaviors and, and kind of where they're coming from and what they mean. Where can my listeners find them? Uh, well, Amazon has them and Future Horizons has them. Do you have any other social media or anything that my listeners can find you at? Well, uh, much like Nate, your last person, I am mainly on Facebook. You can look up Thomas A. McKean and, and the um, website, thomasamckean.com. Are your, are your books on your website too? 
They used to be. I don't sell them direct anymore. I've been thinking about doing that. The second one is, I understand it's not out of print. The publisher was never willing to go that far, but he did say it's on hiatus, but it's been on hiatus for a long time. I don't think it's coming back, but the first one is still available. That's okay because it's by far the better of the two. All right. Well, you you guys heard that. There's rare books out there that if you get your hands on, it'll be one of those out of print editions. It'll be worth a lot in the future. <laughs> uh, I have seen I have seen this one on Amazon for over two thousand dollars. Oh I don't wow. Get a- I don't get a penny of it, oh. but there's about uh, there's about 50 of them out there. There's a couple hundred back here in the closet in a box. But as far as I know, there's a, this one succeeded. This one utterly failed, which means <laughs> I've had a success and a failure. And as far as writing goes, I've tried to learn from both of those things. But yeah, Soon Will Come the Light is out there. And if you do find light on the horizon, odds are it'll probably be signed because I signed most of them. And, there you go, um, people. Go on that virtual Easter egg hunt and find that book. <laughs> oh, and if you do find it, let me know. Let me know if you find it. Yeah, and send yeah, me a message are, and I'll forward it to Thomas. Yeah, y'all are welcome to follow me on my page if you want to. We talk about autism and, and what can be done about it. I kind of backed away from the community several years ago, sitting in a wheelchair here. So I kind of had to back out. And then when, you know, people started being so horrific to these parents that didn't do anything to them personally, I decided to come back and support the parents. And my focus back then was more on the higher functioning end. And I'll be the first to admit that's because it was easier. My focus now is is really on the more severe because the more severe and their parents are the ones who are being bullied the most. And I do think that they're kind of being overlooked and forgotten. I'm not sure that's okay. I kind of have a problem with that. So I am, I've, I've had experience with both. Y'all are welcome to follow me if you want to. Absolutely. I'll make sure to follow and hopefully our listeners out there and viewers, however you're digesting this podcast will also follow. Thank you, Thomas, so much for joining us today on the podcast. And I hope to speak with you again in the future. Thanks for stopping by. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye-bye. This has been Embracing Autism IRL, our video spinoff series. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at Autism Wish. That's youtube.com, the at symbol, Autism Wish, to watch this video interview and others every month. And don't forget to click that notification bell to be alerted of new live streams and content. Tune in next week for a surprise bonus episode and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Autism Wish. If you need support, don't forget to join our monthly parent support group. You can find this and other resources on our website at www.autismwish.org by navigating to the resources tab. This is Embracing Autism.